try to be brief today. In order to be brief, I decided I had to change my mind a little bit and do two Sundays <laughs> for verses 1 through 13 and then two Sundays on verses 14 through 26. So today is kind of going to be an introduction on the information that I think we need to know um, so that we can kind of see verses 1 through 13 uh, the way we need to see it. Amen. Is everyone there in James? You know that we have been working our way through the book of James. Uh, we finished up chapter 1. We've looked at chapter 1 in three parts. Part 1, we uh, called that how to handle trials. And that was verses 2 through 8. Then we looked at uh, verses 12 through 15. We titled that how to handle temptation. And then we looked at part 3, which is verses 16 through 27. And we titled that how to handle self-deception, right? And so since I have uh, just been naming things how to, okay, we're going to start chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, and title that how to handle favoritism. How to handle favoritism. Let's start reading verse 1. It reads, My brethren, hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality or favoritism. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the, bless you, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for allowing us to come and to read your word and to hear your word. I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would use me to communicate to your people um, concerning this topic of favoritism. I pray that 
you would help us to to hear your word, to reflect on your word, but also, as James has been trying to teach us, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Help us to see that favoritism is antithetical to the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that as we are looking at James and what he's saying about faith, that you would teach us to see faith in all of its aspects and not just in a narrow way. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to focus just on how we view money okay, within the larger scheme of this issue of favoritism because when we look at verse 1, the word partiality in verse 1 is in the plural. So he's addressing any type of favoritism. Favoritism of any stripe is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. After he addresses, um, says this about favoritism in the plural, meaning like favoritism in any way, any way that you can show favoritism, right? He says, do not hold the gospel of our glorious Lord that way. He then brings the application specifically to how we treat someone who is rich versus how we treat someone who is poor when they attend church. Okay, so before addressing that, I want us to think about how we we view money, because I think that that is what is the core of the issue here where James is trying to address. The reason that we can treat someone who is rich with favoritism versus someone who is poor is because of how we view money. We want we think money is important, so therefore those who have it are more important. In 2011, there was a mother in Ohio named Kelly William Bolar, and she wanted to make sure that her children had the best education possible. After her house was broken into one day, she decided that she was going to enroll her children in a different school system, a better school system. And so what she decided to do was use her ch- the children's father's address because he lived in the school district where they wanted to, where she wanted them to be enrolled. And so and she used his address, enrolled them in school, and, and she took them to school there for about three or four years. But for some reason, the school, school system became suspicious. And so they hired a private investigator. And the private investigator uh, followed her around and took video of her bringing her children across district lines to school. So when the school system approached her, they asked her to pay $30,000 in back tuition. And when she refused, they had her prosecuted for falsifying her residency records. The judge was very lenient on her. She only received 10 days in jail and community service. 
but she was prosecuted, and I would say rightly, okay, she, she committed a crime, okay, but she was prosecuted because she decided to put her children in a school system where she did not live. You with me? In 2012, there was a, a mother, and she lived in Connecticut. Her name was Tanya, is Tanya McDowell. She was a 34-year-old single mother. She was homeless, and she was arrested and sentenced to five years in jail because she used her babysitter's address so that her children can go to school in a better school district. She was accused of stealing 15686 I'm sorry, $15,686 worth of education from the city of Norwalk, that's Norwalk, uh, Connecticut. Um, she was also charged with dealing drugs <laughs> as well. Um, but as far as the education uh, theft, they charged her with stealing over $15,000 in education funds because she sent her children to a school district that she did not live in because she was homeless. And she received five years in jail. In March of 2019, it came out that parents who wanted their children to go to prestigious colleges had paid anywhere between $250,000 and $1.5 million to get their children into prestigious colleges. They had paid one student as much as $10,000 each time he took the SAT for some of these students. They photoshopped the pictures of their children's faces onto the body of athletes so that they could get around the admissions process. Now, there are some questions concerning this. Of course, we know that one person was Felicity Huffman, who uh, was an actress from Desperate Housewives. The other one was Lori Loughlin, uh, who was the actress from uh, Full House. And when I saw it, I said, not Aunt Becky, you know, you know. <laughs> I was like, man. I'm Becky from Wake Up San Francisco, right? So, um, but what I, what, what I noticed about the two scenarios is that immediately the police said that the mugshots of Felicity Huffman and Lori Lockman will not be released to the public. I wonder if the mugshots for the other two moms were released to the public. People have been discussing these, uh, uh, what's going on with these uh, two actresses on TV, and, and most people are of the opinion that these two women should pay a fine and go on with their lives. And yet, the other two mothers actually served jail time. Now, we don't know 
what will uh, come about of these uh, th with these two actresses, these two women that have paid this money to to do literally the exact same thing that these other two mothers did. But I have a sneaking suspicion that their cases will be treated differently. The question that we will need to answer for ourselves is why will their cases be treated differently? Some people will say that their cases will be treated differently because of the race of the, the two groups. I don't think that that's the real reason why the two groups will be treated differently. I believe that the two groups will be treated differently because there is two justice systems, one for those who are the haves and one for those who are the have-nots. Because our overall bias is to show favoritism to those who have money. And in that sense, nothing has changed in the 2,000 years since James has written his epistle. James is trying to address this issue with believers, right? I mean, it, it's okay for the world to have this issue of favoritism, okay? But James is trying to tell us here in verse 1, he says, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality, with favoritism. Favoritism is something that is antithetical to faith in Jesus Christ. It should not be something that us, we as believers, struggle with. We should not look at people and say that they have value based on their finances, or their status in this world. Before going into these other verses here, I'll focus on this passage um, next, uh, next time, but what I want us to do instead is look back at verse in, in chapter 1. I want to spend most of my time in the passage that I skipped over last uh, when we were going over, over verses uh, in chapter 1, I'm sorry, and we skipped over verses 9 through 11. And I skipped over verses 9 through 11 because I believe it deals with um, the same thing that James is addressing in the beginning of chapter 2. Look at what James says in verses 9 through 11. He says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now we skipped these verses, but I wanted to come back and and address these passages because I think in order for us to deal with our favoritism, all of us have deal with favoritism. We struggle with it, right? Uh, we all in some way, as we'll see next week when we look at this, favoritism is talking about uh, addressing things just from an appearance standpoint. Right? 
we, we, we look at something and we judge it based on its outward look or appearance to be better than something else. And so he says, if someone who is rich and dressed in good apparel, they walk in, you say, wow, they must be good or better. So let's sit them up front. If someone comes in in filthy clothing, you say, hmm, he, he's, he's not as good as the rich person. So we say, you can either stand in the back or you can sit at my footstool. Now, no, now imagine that. Now, I'm sitting in a seat, and I have a stool to prop up my foot. I won't even allow you to sit on my footstool. You can sit on the floor next to my footstool. James says that judging based on outward appearance is something that we as believers should not do. And I believe that the reason that we as believers struggle in this area is because of the value that we place on money. Okay. However, James in verses 9 through 11 is trying to give us a better perspective on how we should see those who are rich versus those who are poor. He says, the si- a similar thing in, uh, in chapter 2 when he says, verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith so they may be financially poor? But God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. Okay. So James is trying to give us a corrective. He's trying to help us to see not with our own physical eyes, but to be able to see people from God's perspective. And so when you look at people from God's perspective, the question here in verses 9 and 10 is, are we talking about Christians? Okay, We know that the poor person that he is referring to is a Christian because he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. But then verse 10, he says, but the rich... So is this a rich Christian? Is it just an unsafe Christian? There's questions exegetically. I believe that that the passage is talking about someone who is a rich Christian versus someone who is a poor Christian because in the text, the word brother is there, and then it says the the brother, the humble one, and then it says the rich one. Okay, so I think the word brother covers covers both. We're talking about believers. So James is not saying that a person who is rich cannot be saved. Okay. He's talking about someone who is who is a Christian that may be rich and someone who is a Christian who may be poor. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. And so the question has to be, how is a poor Christian exalted he says you should glory you should brag if you are the poor brother (laughs) right you should brag or boast because god has put you in an exalted position now for everyone who lives paycheck to paycheck you don't normally feel that as uh, uh experience that as being in an exalted position do you (laughs) 
But he says, as we saw in verse 5, that those people who are poor, God has chosen that they would be rich in faith. Now, I remember when I would do street evangelism, when we would go out on the street corner, it doesn't matter where we would go. We would walk up and down Monument Street. We would go to, to the worst neighborhoods in the city, right? And it does not matter. I mean, you could not finish getting your sentence out of your mouth about needing the Lord. Right? They, they knew they needed something because whatever they were going through, you know, was, was kicking their behinds. Right? And so they were open to hearing about Christ because they knew they needed something to change the circumstance that they were in. However, whenever we would come to the county, and we would try to, first of all, we would try to walk, uh, excuse me, excuse me. It's like people in a hurry, boom, I, I, I got I to go somewhere, right? That's if, if they're outside at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's the struggle we had doing evangelism here in Parkville, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, where's everyone? No one, no one's outside, right? No one wants to sit outside. And, you know, if you have a garage, you, you pull into your garage, you come out your garage, you don't come out your front, you don't want to be disturbed. But when you talk to them about their need for Christ, a lot of times you have to do more work because if you don't have real needs, right, you're not going to feel that you have a need for Christ. Now, I know that that is painting with broad brushes and, and, and that is not true of every individual person. But on a whole, if you read anything about evangelism and missions, right, it, you see these, these patterns working out, right? So he says that the lowly person, the poor person, is in an exalted position, right? But he also says, verse 10, the rich brother should brag or boast about his humiliation. Well, the question is, well, how is it a humiliation to be the rich brother? And I believe that that can be easily summed up in the stories of Felicity Huffman and Lori Lachlan. And how many people want to trade their paycheck for the life of Felicity Huffman and Lori Lachlan right now. <laughs> you slow. <laughs> we got one person like, ooh, I, I, I want to be prosecuted. <laughs> yeah, you, you heard money. That's what she heard. Well, I want their money. Okay, but guess what? Right now, their money is not going to save them. It's going to cost them a whole lot of money. <laughs> right been fired from the hallmark channel that both of their children have been dropped from um from the jobs that they've had right so hey money is great but not at the moment it is they're in a humiliating position because the affluence that they have right a lot of times is what contributes to their downfall. And the pain and suffering that they have in life 
their money cannot save them. And so they have to learn to boast in their humiliation because when they go through this pain and suffering, they have to learn that the pain and suffering is designed to bring them to Christ. You'll notice that verses 9 through 11 is, is put in the text right after verses 2 through 8. And in verses 2 through 8, as we have seen, James is telling us we need to count it all joy when we go through various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Okay, You can respond in a positive way, and he says you will become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. You can respond in a negative way, but when you respond that way, he says that you should expect to receive nothing from the Lord because you are a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Immediately, he then says, let the lowly brother, right? Let the rich brother, okay? So so the, the struggle, the temptation that God is putting here that we need to learn how to count it all joy is if he puts you in the place of having wealth, but he combines that with adversity to teach you how to trust him, count it all joy. If he puts you in this life without a lot of means, but he has made it possible for you to be rich in faith, count it all joy. As Paul says, wherever he has placed you, we need to learn to be content. What I want us to do in these uh, last few moments <laughs> is I want us to turn to four passages of Scripture, only four this time, okay. and, and look at what the Bible says about money and what the Bible says about um, those people, our, our viewpoint on, on money in reference to those who are rich and those who are poor. What I want you to do first is turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll look at these passages of Scripture, and then we'll be done. And what I want us to see is we have to address how we view money. As we'll see here, the Bible does not say it is sinful uh, to be rich or wealthy. That's not true. Um, and the truth is, although we live in a culture that is demonizing money, we know for a fact that no one believes that because everybody's trying to get money. Okay. Nobody's like, sign me up to be poor. Okay. Okay. Everyone is, is trying to, to get money, okay? So the Bible does not teach, and we could take time to look at these things. We won't um, do that today. We can look at a bunch of passages, right? Um, Jesus does say it is hard, right, for a rich man to enter into heaven. That It is difficult because we put our trust in our riches instead of putting our trust in God. It is hard, but it is not impossible, for someone who is rich uh, to enter into heaven. But the issue is the value that we place on our wealth, right? And we want to make sure that we put the right, the right 
level of value on those resources. Everyone there, First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Listen to what Peter says to believers. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now notice here quickly that Peter says that we have been been begotten, we have been saved, right, by a living hope. And he says that because of this living hope, right, we will receive an inheritance. This inheritance is incorruptible and it cannot be defiled, right? This inheritance is eternal and it cannot be impacted by the things that take place on this earth. You see that? He goes on to say, when we skip down to verse 6, that we should greatly rejoice in the fact that we are saved with this great inheritance, even though for a short while, now for us, I'm a short while, you know, to God, a short while is a short while to us, you know, because for some reason, you know, God's clock is slower than ours, okay, so, because a day to God is like a thousand years, and, and, you know, so when, when Peter says a short while, he might mean a decade, <laughs> okay, so you, you, you might struggle, <laughs> in, in God's perspective, a short while, okay, right, but, but, but listen, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even if for a short while you are grieved by your various trials. We go through things, right, if we connect this to what, what James is saying, right, when we are the poor brother, right, life seems like it is, is a compilation of grief over and over and over again. We struggle with many things, living paycheck to paycheck, trying to, trying to afford prescription medication and a host of other things. But James and um, Peter is saying, in this you should greatly rejoice that even though you are grieved by these struggles, you are saved, you have an inheritance, and it will be reserved for you in heaven for all eternity. And the reason that God does this, the reason that he gives you this inheritance but allows you to experience grief for a short while is so that your faith will be genuine. Because to God, 
genuine faith is much more, th- more precious than gold. That's all God is trying to do in you. James said, right, your faith is being tested so that you can become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Peter says God allows us to go through these griefs so that he can produce in us a genuine faith because to him that is better than gold. And I should say that it should be should be viewed by us as better than gold as well. <laughs> Sometimes we read ahead of gold though. <laughs> Listen. I understand the value of money in this world, right? Right. We see money as security, right? We see money as security because if you have it, right, you are not subject to the same limitations that other people have, right? Uh, so so you, you have a, a, a homeless mother, you have a single mother who lives in a poor neighborhood, and therefore when something happens, they make a decision to, to do better for their children, boom, system, pow, 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 cracks down on them. And then you have another group of people who literally does the same exact thing. And all of a sudden, the system starts working for them. We understand that money is security, but we should not have our faith in our resources. We should have our faith in God. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I should add that nothing that I'm saying here should be construed uh, in a political way. Um, Nothing that I'm saying here should be construed in a way that um, to say that people who are poor, we should say, hey, just stay poor. We shouldn't help you. God put you in that position. Okay. Um, uh, We could add in a a host of other things about um, social programs or how the church Um, should have like mercy ministry to help the poor. All of these things um, um, are included, but um, I'm trying to stay brief (laughs) and can't address all of these things today. But uh, what I'm trying to help us to see is how we should view our circumstances versus our resources. Is everyone with me in verse five, Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. Look at what. Jesus says in verse 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, so Jesus is not technically addressing the same thing that James is addressing, right? Because Jesus is talking about those who are poor in spirit, right, with no regard to their finances. And James is just talking about those who are poor in their pockets. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, but Jesus does say, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, again, as James says, those who are poor have been granted by God to be rich in faith. And and these are the qualifications, the characteristics of those whom will be rich in faith and they will see God. What I want us to do is look in chapter six, though. Jesus, of course, begins uh, this discourse here with these Beatitudes. um, But Jesus touches on a host of other topics as he is working his way through um, chapters uh, five, six and seven. Right now, what I want us to do is look at Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. And we're going to start at verse 19. Now, we, we all, all of us, we can quote, you know, the end of the chapter. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, 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 and notice the word we put an emphasis on. And all these things <laughs> will be added unto, <laughs> unto me. Okay. All right. So our emphasis is on the things. Right. So I'm seeking God first. So that the things can be added second. All right. Listen to what Jesus says as he begins this this conversation about uh, about this uh, money. He says, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up your treasures on earth, right? Because moth, right? They they will eat your clothes. <laughs> Rust, right? Will eat your cars. Okay? All of the things that we want, and anything that you feel you can hide behind your gated, you know, living in the gated community, somebody will break in and they will steal. Okay, and we can list a host of. Of, of famous people living in gated communities that people have just broken in and taken their stuff. Okay. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I, I, I'm not going to stop and take time to go through all of these things. We could, we could just really just close the Bible and just focus just on that one verse. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Again, he's addressing, he's teaching us how we're supposed to look at wealth and finances and, and, and those who are rich and those who are poor, right? He says, don't worry about treasures on earth, right? Those things will be destroyed. We should instead focus on having treasures in heaven because they are eternal, right? And because wherever your treasure is, if it's on earth, that's where your heart is going to be, 
fine. If, if your treasure is in heaven, that's where your treasure is going to be. You all remember before we were preaching through this passage of Scripture, and I said, and um, I, I thought I was going to get a lot of booze that Sunday. If it was a sermon on, on, on YouTube, it would be a lot of thumb downs. Okay. I remember saying that um, something to the effect of how many people give as much money in a month in church or, um, as they make in their car payment. So look at your car payment and how much money you give to church each month. And I, I saw the faces like, right? Now think about it. We can give that amount to Ford, to Toyota, to Lexus, but when we say give it to God so other people can be saved, man, he must be crazy. Why? Because where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. Oh, yeah, I, I could send Toyota $500 a month because that benefits me. But you say give the same amount as your car payment to church, man, he must be crazy. I can't afford it. I got to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. If your heart is in the kingdom of God, that's where you will place your treasure. If your treasure is here on earth, that's where you're going to place your treasure. Now, listen to what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye, we, the things we see. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Now, here's where we want to focus. No one can serve two masters. Can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one, to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Okay. You can't do it. You cannot serve both God and money. If you place your value with money and resources and things on earth, you're going to start seeing the people who have money and resources and things as more valuable as those who do not. Because you're going to want to associate with those people more than you want to associate with the people who do not have money. Then Jesus goes on to say, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they. Aren't you more valuable than birds? If God takes the time to feed these animals and you are much more valuable than they are, won't your heavenly father take care of you? See, James is trying to get us to see if we would couple all of these things with what James's brother said, Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that those who are poor are in the exalted position. 
because they are in the position where God himself will take care of them. We can skip down, of course. Then we get to Jesus saying, don't worry about you, what you will eat, what you'll drink or what you'll wear, verse 31. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Remember as a part of the Lord's Prayer, one of the sentences is to give us this day our daily bread. See, the Bible teaches that God allows us to struggle because he's trying to teach us to depend on him. And that is the exalted position. I want us to turn to our last passage of scripture, which is 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And... Let us see what Paul says about those with wealth. Why is it that those who have wealth are in the humiliating position or the position? Where they can be humbled. First Timothy six, verse three. I debated about should I start at verse one, uh, but it fits with the context. So, verse one. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke, bless you, count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they're brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. I'm not going to give any commentary. Verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth, listen, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, turn away. Now, I think that this is a, a, a dangerous verse uh, for Christian television. <coughs> now, listen to, it, listen to what he says. He says, if anyone teaches doctrine in, that does not accord with godliness, you grow in to be like God. That kind of person is proud, knows nothing, is obsessed with disputes, arguments over words, from which comes envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds 
and who are destitute of the truth. Why are these people have having corrupt minds and they're destitute of the truth? They believe that godliness, living a God kind of life, doing the things that God requires of us, right? Reading the word, fasting, praying, that doing these things are a means to get stuff. I mean, isn't that what we hear mostly on Christian television? If you have enough faith, God will. <laughs> I mean, it, we've even gotten social media into it. Pass this on to 10 friends and God is going to give you a blessing. I'm like, man, like, where does it say if I share this 10 times, I'm going to be blessed? <laughs> right? Like, he stopped sending me these memes. <laughs> Right. Blowing my inbox up. Right. People who think that living a godly life is a method of getting money and stuff from God. He says those people are devoid of the truth. Living godly is not a means of getting stuff. As a matter of fact, the Bible says those who desire to live godly will Suffer persecution it's, it's just the opposite of what these men say. He says, don't listen to those type of people. Turn away from them. Turn the channel, turn the station, get away from those kind of people. Because, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. I don't have everything that I want, but I'm going to be content with what I have. Whatever position in life God has given me, I'm going to be content with where he has placed me because godly with contentment, that is gain. That is what God wants of us. Now, it's okay to try to grow and develop and, and you know, progress financially and education and all of those things. Those are great. And if God gives you those things, that is great. Bless God for it. But if he does not, Be content where he has placed you. The reason that godliness with contentment is great gain, verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can take nothing out. Now, every single person in this room is a lot more wealthy than when they were born. <laughs> His point, it was like, ooh, if you, if you think you poor now, look at when you were born. <laughs> you had nothing. And you may only have $5 now. It's $5 more than you had. And guess what? It's $5 more than you're going to take to heaven. You brought nothing into this world, and you will take nothing out of this world. So verse 8, having food and clothing with these, you should be content. Now, listen to what he goes on to say about those who are rich, okay? And so he, he, he says this here, and then when we jump over to verse 17, he uh, continues this conversation. He says, but those who desire to be rich, okay, it, if, if you want wealth and status and money and all of these things, those who desire to be rich, they what? They fall into temptation and a snare, like paying 
to try to get your children into college by photoshopping their face on somebody else's body. <laughs> did you even ever did you did you ever even play the sport? <laughs> like I don't I mean, don't athletes at this level have rankings? Well, what's your ranking number? Uh <laughs> like you ain't think nobody's gonna check. Uh, or at least somebody their child didn't get in, so they snitch on everybody else. Okay. Those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptations and snares and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Is that where you where you want to be? <laughs> if you want to be rich. Have at it, but you're going to bring a lot of pain and strife into your life. He says, because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That is the life of those who desire to be rich and those who who are rich. Why is it that so many people who are rock stars, I mean, everyone knows them, everyone knows their name, they're all plastered over TV, they're on billboards, they have all the money in the world, and then you find out they've committed suicide. Well, they have everything that you like, wow, I wish I had that person's life. Right, Kelly? <laughs> right? And then you hear about them, you know, drug problems, alcohol problems, all kinds of, of, of things, right? I hear about all of the people in the 90s. I would watch them like, oh, man, I, I, I wish I could rap like them or be like them. And you hear about, you know, the one particular artist I heard, she was on top of the game. And she just kept moving friends and people into, into the, she bought a house big enough to have all of her friends live there because she just couldn't be alone. And we're like, ooh, I want their life. And they're looking at us like, ooh, I wish I could get out of this. <laughs> I, could, I wish I could just walk away from it all. And we're like, ooh, I want to get there one day. And then you're going to get there and be like, ooh, I want to walk away from it all. <laughs> We have to put the proper perspective on wealth. Paul ends this in verse, with verse 17. He says, if God blesses you with wealth and resources, because again, it is not a sin to be, to be wealthy. I mean, look at Abraham, right? God blessed him, okay? Look at Job. God blessed him. God took it away and then gave him twice as much as what he had before, okay? And so we can we could talk about David and Solomon and all of these other people who are wealthy in the Bible. It is not a sin to be rich, but you have to have the proper perspective on your wealth. So if you are wealthy, Paul says, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be proud, 
if you are the rich brother, you need to learn humility, right? And don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. So if you're rich, don't keep it all for yourself. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So if God blesses you and you are the rich brother or sister, we want to make sure that we are saying, saying this correctly, right? If you're the rich brother or the rich sister, <laughs> okay? Paul says, don't trust in your resources. Trust in God. And make sure that when you see the lowly or the poor or the humble brothers and sisters, make sure that you give. Make sure that you are good in, that you are rich in good works. Because in doing these things, right, you are laying hold on eternal life. And I do not mean that in a liberal a theological way okay so i'm not saying giving money to poor people gets you into heaven that's not paul's point but he's saying it's it, it proves that god is doing a work in your heart that you can trust him enough to give away those resources is everyone with me now when we come back next week we're gonna stay in james verses 1 through 13 because i want us to Make sure we have this in our minds here that James is not saying that a person who is rich is not a believer, is not saved. Okay, so in the context here, he is probably talking about someone who is not saved, a rich person who is not saved that comes into the church as a visitor. Okay, but he's also saying the same thing about the poor person, okay? These are visitors that come to church. Uh, the assumption is probably that neither one of them know the Lord. Okay. And his point is that when we have the proper perspective on money and wealth and status, right, when a poor person and a rich person comes to church, we will not show one of them favoritism over the other. Because when we do that, we are hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said, I'm going to, y'all ain't believe me. I'm stopping. Because I'm going to take extra time the next time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm giving y'all 15 minutes today. <laughs> I'm going to take them 15 minutes back. <laughs> All right. We get through these 13 verses. But what I'm trying to get us to see is favoritism in any way, right? Favoritism in any way. He says, don't hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the word here when we look is a, to look, it means to look both ways. <laughs> okay. uh, you can't be looking to Christ and at the same time looking to someone's appearance, status, money. Right. You, you, you can't look both ways. You can't hold faith with favoritism. That goes for someone who is 
rich and poor that comes to church that that com- that that goes for visitors or new people who come to church it goes it goes for oh we got to click oh this is our ministry we don't want new people on our ministry <laughs> like huh what <laughs> you know what what's going on here like is this a club you know you got to pay dues to get in or something <laughs> um favoritism in any way is a hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we will turn people off not from us from Christ. And so James is trying to help us to see so we can connect this because again, remember, every single section that he's touching on is all about faith. Favoritism is a faith issue. Do, do we do we trust God and believe God more than we trust out outward appearances, the way we see things, the the value that we place on things? And and so James is is, is hammering us down on faith, right? He's pulling it's beyond the oh I gotta trust God so that I can be healed. Oh I wanna trust God to pay my bills. Okay, that's that's great. Okay, J- James says, trust God for all of that. Do you trust God when a rich person and a poor person come to church and how you treat them? James is, is putting it where the rubber meets the road. No more of this, ooh, I'm trusting God. Okay, well, how does that look? What does that look like when you trust God? And so James is trying to teach us that our faith touches on every single aspect of our lives, including how we treat people, whether with favoritism or, or not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for, again, allowing us to come into your word. And as we saw last week, to look at your word like a mirror. You want us to look into your word and to examine ourselves and to see what type of people we really are. And the truth is, Lord, all of us have issues of favoritism in our hearts. All of us has Uh, some form of of prejudice in our hearts. We prefer some things over others because all of us judge by outward appearances. But as you said in your word, you don't look on the outward man, you look at the heart. And as you are shaping and molding us to be like your son, you want us to less and less look at outward appearances and to see right into the heart of people. You want us, as we will see as we get into verse 13 you don't want us to judge by outward appearance but you want us to judge based on mercy i pray lord that you would keep working in our hearts a heart that is just like yours a heart that beats for everyone across the board not the rich showing favoritism to the rich and not even showing favoritism to the poor that we will not show favoritism at all but we will show mercy to all just like you do and i pray lord that you would keep working in our hearts so that we can be um have that same genuine faith that peter talked about we thank you now in jesus name amen